Good evening and welcome again. We're glad that you're present tonight. I appreciate Cameron leading our scripture, our reading our scripture tonight. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5 and specifically we want to look at the first 12 verses of this book and this chapter. Before we do so, we want to take this opportunity to once again welcome those who are visiting. We're always glad to have visitors with us. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. It is a great blessing, I believe, to be a member of the church here at Olive Branch. And we've had a number of people that have placed membership with us, and for that we're grateful. We're always glad to have good folks come and show interest in the work here and help us as we strive to make known New Testament Christianity in this community. And I do want to take the opportunity to say if you're looking for a church home, please consider the work here. We have a lot of, I believe, great programs that are ongoing, and we have a great youth program, and we would love to have you as a part of the family here. Tonight we want to talk about some of the challenges that we face as children of light. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 at verse 8, For you were once darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. You remember during the earthly ministry of Jesus, he said on one occasion, I am the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Bible tells us that the world in which we live is engulfed in spiritual darkness. And so naturally, as children of light, sometimes it becomes difficult for us to maintain a sense of right and wrong and thus to employ right, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And so tonight we want to spend some time and talk about some of the challenges that we face as God's people, particularly as children of light. And so as we look at this lesson, I want to look at the first 12 verses of Ephesians chapter 5 and we begin tonight by emphasizing the challenge to imitate the Lord. I think all of us would agree that we are to be Christ-like in our demeanor. We are to live as Christ lived. The Bible talks on numerous occasions of how we are to follow in his footsteps. And so in verses 1 and 2, Paul begins by talking about the person that we are to imitate. Listen to what he says in verses one and two. Therefore be followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. I said a moment ago that the scriptures encourage us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 at verse 1, would say, Be imitators or be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. What Paul was saying is that we ought to model our lives after Jesus Christ. And what he was saying to the church at Corinth was this, and that is they were to follow his example insofar as he modeled his life after the Son of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter said that Christ also has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. And so therein lies the challenge before us to model our lives after the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said that as followers of God, we are to walk in love. I want to begin by maybe emphasizing 
the declaration of God's love. Over and over again, the Bible talks about the love of God and the love of Christ. In verse 2, Paul would say, walk in love as Christ also has loved us. You remember when the Apostle Paul wrote to the saints in Galatia? And he said that Christ loved him and gave himself for him. In a very personal way, the Apostle Paul believed in the love of God. He believed that the Lord Jesus Christ genuinely loved him. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, talked about love. He talked about the love of the Father, the love of God. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But then there is the demonstration of his love. How did Jesus demonstrate his love for us? Well, he went to the cross, didn't he? Listen again to what Paul says in verse 2. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Jesus would say during his earthly ministry in John 15, 13, Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. I mentioned a moment ago the words of Jesus in John 3, 16. In Romans chapter 5 at verse 8, Paul said, But God commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do you show somebody that you love them? Well, we verbalize our love, but more importantly, we demonstrate our love. And that's what the Lord did for us. But then note, in, note also the precept that we are to integrate in our lives. Paul would say, be followers of God, that is, we are to mimic, to follow in the footsteps of our Lord, and then we are to walk in love. What about our behavior in the Lord? Well, we understand we're to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, and mind. But the Bible also stresses the importance of brotherly love, loving one another. How do we treat one another? How do we communicate with one another? Hopefully we use kind and charitable words. Jesus would say that the badge of Christian discipleship is love one for another. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you. Well, what was that new commandment? That you love one another as I have loved you. There's the newness of that command. The depth of the love that was demonstrated by Jesus and ultimately demonstrated by him on Calvary's cross. So our behavior in the Lord, over and over again, the New Testament appeals to us to be people of love. Peter said that we are to love one another with a pure heart, fervently, the Bible would say, let brotherly love continue. And Paul here is saying that we are to walk in love. Just as Christ loved, we're to love. And then note, if you would, our blessing in the Lord. When Jesus Christ emptied himself and came to earth, suffered and bled on Calvary's cross, he did so with the intent of redeeming us, reconciling us to God. And Paul said that his sacrifice was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Here's what I, I think that all of us need to see. When we demonstrate Christ-like behavior and love as Christ loved and show that love toward one another, when we carry it out in our everyday, in our everyday lives, then we are well-pleasing to God. It is a sweet-smelling aroma before Him.
Our goal is to please God, isn't it? That's ultimately what we're trying to do in this life. And Paul talks about the importance of trying to please the Lord. Down in verse 10, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. There is a second thing I want you to see in our study tonight, and that is the challenge of an inconsistent lifestyle. First, we think about the challenge to imitate the Lord, but then secondly, the challenge of an inconsistent lifestyle. We've been talking about our behavior as members of the body of Christ, and really, in verses 3 and following, Paul accentuates our conduct as God's people. And so, as he discusses our conduct in Christ, one of the things that he's going to stress is that we need to rise above what I call substandard living. God has a divine ideal for us. That ideal set forth by John in 1 John chapter 2, we are to rise above sin. Now, are we sinlessly perfect? Absolutely not. But John would say in 1 John chapter 1 that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So we're not perfect. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 1, he would say that we are to rise above sin, but if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Unfortunately, some people gravitate back to their old lifestyle. Peter, in his letter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, talks about those that become entangled therein again and overcome by the world. And he said the latter end is worse than the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Now, here's what Paul is going to say. We need to rise above substandard living. And there's a reason for that. Number one, because it demeans us. Why would I say that? Why would I say that substandard living is demeaning to us? Well, number one, we need to remember who we are, don't we? Who are we? We are children of the king. We are people that are to be walking in the light. Paul said, look, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. You need to remember who you are. Back in verse 1, he said, Be followers of God as dear children. Remember who you are. You are a part of the body of Christ. You belong to the Lord. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But remembering who we are. In Acts chapter 5, verse 14, the apostle in the long ago, or the writer in the long ago, identifies those who are part of the kingdom as believers. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, he would identify us as disciples or learners of Christ. In verse 2 of that same chapter, he would say we are followers of the way. In Acts eleven twenty six, he said we are Christians. That is, we're following whom? Jesus. We're following Christ. So remember who you are. And then secondly, remember whose you are. It's one thing to remember who we are, but it's the second thing to remember whose we are. We belong to the Lord, don't we? If you have been baptized into Christ, delivered out of the power of darkness, and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son, you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are His. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul said, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God? He said, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. 
Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, listen to him, which are God's. You belong to God. That's why we are to rise above substandard living. So having said that, note if you would what Paul says beginning in verse 3. And in verses 3 and 4, in a very concise and clear way, Paul talks about those who gravitate back to substandard living. Here's what he says, but fornication. Fornication is a generic term that is used in the scriptures to identify a number of sexual sins. It would include unlawful sexual intercourse with another person, with a married person, homosexuality, bestiality. It's a very generic term. And so he said, fornication, and then all uncleanness. The idea here is that somebody goes out and lives a profligate, wasteful life. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? When he asked his father for an early inheritance, gathered all together, went out into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous or profligate living. One lexicon says that it denotes luxurious, profligate living. It's exactly what happened to the prodigal in Luke 15. He goes on to say, or covetousness. Down in verse 5, he identifies covetousness as idolatry. Typically, we think about somebody who is an idolater as an individual that would bow down before a statue, whether it be graven by art or composed of wood or stone or metal or whatever. But idolatry can encompass a number of things. I would grant that those are idolatrous things that people sometimes bow down to. Anything that displaces God as the one who is preeminent in our life would be an idol. And there are a lot of people that have made an idol out of money or materialism or a hobby or some recreational pursuit or their job or whatever. Anything that comes between us and seeking first the kingdom of God could be equated to idolatry or covetousness. So Paul said fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Why shouldn't I live like the world lives? Why shouldn't I engage in fornication or uncleanness, profligate living? Or as Paul said, covetous behavior, because I am a child of God. Because I belong to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The Lord expects better of me. Note that phrase, as is fitting for saints. It's not fitting for a saint to go back and live like the world. It's not fitting for a saint to become entangled therein again and overcome. Now, sometimes people do, but it's not God's will. It's not God's way. In verse 4, neither filthiness, obscenities, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, again, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. We talk about 
behavior that is prohibited by God. And there are certain things that we, that we can do that are off limits based on what the Bible says. But how often do we think about our speech, what we say? Isn't it sad that sometimes people within the church will tell off-color jokes, engage in what some would say smutty conversation, tell dirty jokes, curse. There are a lot of things that there are a lot of things and there are a lot of terms that could be employed by children of God without, without engaging in worldly conversation. Listen to what Jesus said. By your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, condemned. Jesus said every idle word that men shall speak. They will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. James said, so speak ye, and so do, as those that will be judged by the law of liberty. What James is saying is that God will judge not just our deeds, our actions, but he will judge our words. And Paul here is saying, look, if you're a child of God, you don't have any business using the kind of speech that is characteristic of those in the world. I understand sometimes we slip up and say something we shouldn't say, but it's not a habit. And some folks have made it a habit. They use what has been defined as gutter language. So look now at verse 5. In verse 5, I said just a moment ago that when we think about substandard living, it is demeaning to us, and what Paul is going to say is, it will doom us. If we go back and begin living once again like the world, what Paul is saying is, look, you need to understand something. You have no part in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So here's what he says. This you know, that no fornicator unclean person nor covetous man who is an, an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's the only time this phrase is used in the scriptures. When Paul talks about the kingdom of Christ and God. In verse 6, Paul said, Let no one deceive you with empty or vain words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. In crystal clear language, Paul is telling these people in the first century and he's saying to people of all ages, if you choose to live like the world, conduct yourself like a person in the world and you forget about who you are and whose you are, you need to understand you have no hope when it comes to heaven. He said, don't let anybody try to, to tell you that that's not the case. Don't let somebody try to argue with, argue with you and say, look, it, it, it's okay. You can live like that. You can do that. You can say those things. No, Paul said, you need to understand. 
If you choose to live like that, you'll lose your soul. You remember what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? I don't know how Paul could be any plainer. He said, if you choose to live a certain lifestyle, you don't have a prayer, not one prayer. There's a reason for that. Because you have been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. God has delivered you out of the power of darkness. He has placed you in his kingdom. You are a child of the king. You have come out of darkness and now you are to be light in the Lord. And so yes, there is an expectation on the part of God for you. The Lord wants you to conduct yourself as one of his children. So, the challenge of an inconsistent lifestyle. It's sad sometimes when people that we know go back into the world and begin living as they once did. And sadly, Many know better. Others ought to know better. Now, thirdly, the challenge of being an incorruptible light. What about the commission of a saint? What is it God would have me to do? What would God have me to be in this world? Well, first of all, I think emphasis is on the road of the righteous. When I think about the road of the righteous, I think about how it is a high road and it is a holy road. On the one hand, you have the road of the world. On the other hand, you have the road of the righteous. The road of the righteous, it's a high road and it is a holy road. And so in light of that, there are a couple of things that Paul is saying we need to remember. Number one... The road of the righteous encompasses our fellowship, the kind of people we hang around with, our associations, our allies in this life. Note what Paul says in verse 7. He's just talked about how we are to imitate the Lord. And then he emphasizes the danger of inconsistent living. In light of those who might go back into the world, here's what he says in verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't live like they live. Don't choose to live like they live. Drop down and look at verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Do you remember what Paul said in writing to the church at Corinth? Be not deceived. Evil companionship corrupts good morals. Solomon talks about the importance of young people choosing the right kind of friends. Solomon, in writing to his own son in Proverbs chapter 1, said, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Don't hang around them. And I think that's what Paul is saying to us. As a child of God, we have no business associating with people that are going to bring us down morally and spiritually. Now, can we associate with people to try to help them and lead them out of a life of sin into a better way of life? Absolutely. You can look at the life of Jesus, and you can see over and over again he came into contact with sinful people for the purpose of bettering their lives. And we ought to do that. 
But we don't want to run with the devil's crowd. Why? Because if we run with the devil's crowd, before you know it, we're one of the devil's crowd. In Acts chapter 2, Paul, or rather in Acts chapter 2, at verse 42, Luke speaks of the early church and how they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. That's godly fellowship. That's Christian fellowship. It's holy fellowship. It's the right kind of fellowship. And then secondly, the road of the righteous encompasses our fruitfulness. You see, as a child of God, I'm not going to engage in substandard living. I understand I'm a child of the king. The Lord expects better of me. So what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to better my life. In what way? I'm trying to become more and more Christ-like. I'm trying to feed on this word and take the principles that are set forth in the scriptures and make them a part of me, to integrate them into my life. So having said that, look at what Paul says in verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of life, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. God's saying there's a standard. We can delve into the truth of Almighty God and see how the Lord would have us to live. In so doing, we bear fruit. In Romans chapter 6, Paul contrasts a life prior to conversion to that after conversion. He asked the question, what fruit had you in those things whereof you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now, he said, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. I'm trying to bring forth fruit for the Lord. I'm trying to live in such a way so that the Lord will be pleased with my efforts. In verse 10, he said, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. Jesus said, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Sometimes we think about bearing fruit in terms of leading people to Christ. That's one way to bear fruit. But we bear fruit when we take the principles that are set forth in Scripture, like righteousness and goodness and faith and love and patience and meekness and incorporate those things into our lives. So the road of the righteous, but then secondly, think about the responsibility that we have as righteous people. First Paul says, we must be a shining light for the Lord. In verse 8, he said again, you were once darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord, walk as children of light. When people see you at school, on the job, the ball field, wherever you may be in life, what do they see? Do they see a child of light? Do they see somebody who is letting his or her light shine before others? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Living before others as a faithful child of God. Letting people see that we conduct ourselves in such a way that suggests, hey, we belong to the Lord. We're his people. The world is engulfed in spiritual darkness. John said the whole world lieth under the sway of the wicked one. Jesus said men love darkness rather than light. The world is engulfed in spiritual darkness and yet as a child of God, I am to shine so that people can see Christ living in me, as Paul said. To 
and people see Christ living in you, sometimes the greatest sermon ever preached, it's not verbal, it's not words, but it's the way we carry ourselves every day in the community and as we travel from place to place. We are to be a shining light for the Lord. But then secondly, we must sound out the light of the word of the Lord. In verse 11, Paul said, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose, reprove them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. There are some things that go on in our world today. There are lifestyles that people engage in that are shameful. And really, when you start thinking about them, when you begin to really sit down and think about some of the things that people engage in, too filthy to talk about. And yet people in our society have lost their sense of shame. Like the people in Jeremiah's day when he said, were they ashamed when they committed these abominations? His, his response was, no, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Paul said, what we need to do as children of God is to say to people who are living unrighteously, and this would include people in the church that have gone back into the world, in a kind and loving way. Paul said in Ephesians 4.15, we speak the truth in love. But we need to be able to sit down with people and say, you know what? The way you're living is not in harmony with the teaching of the Bible. You can't live like that and go to heaven. Sometimes... In saying those things, it ruffles feathers, doesn't it? Sometimes folks don't like it. But we say it anyway. Why? Because we love them. Because we understand that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Because the Lord wants them in heaven. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Paul would say God's desire is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. How are people in our world going to know what truth is? If we, never, if we never speak up on behalf of our Lord. It might very well be the case that your neighbor, your family member, your co-worker, your classmate will one day be in heaven because of what you said, because of the way you lived. And all Paul is saying is, look, you were once in darkness. You know what it's like to live in sin. You know what it's like to be outside of Christ to be spiritually destitute, to be barren, to be without hope and without God in this world. But you've been saved, you've been redeemed, you've been cleansed. As a child of light, you have the opportunity to speak up for the Lord and try to encourage people to live for the Lord. Do we have challenges as children of light? Absolutely. But positively speaking, we can rise above the world we can live in such a way so that one day God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And the beauty of it is, hopefully and prayerfully, we will lead others to the Lord. 
Wouldn't it be great to know that there are going to be people in heaven because of our influence? I mean, think about this. To know that one day your neighbor, your classmate, your coworker, your family member, whether it be a child, a grandchild, a brother, a sister, a, a mate, whatever the case may be, to know that they will be in heaven because of your influence. How's that happen? Because you're a child of light and you share the light of God's word with them. It may be that you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. Could we encourage you to come to Christ? We believe that Christ is the answer to a life of sin. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. To know that I can have access to all spiritual blessings in Christ through him who died for me. Here's what you need to do. First, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible says, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. And Jesus said, if you die in your sins, where I am, there you can't come. So we've got to believe in the Lord and then to repent like they did on Pentecost. To confess the name of Christ just like the eunuch did in Acts 8.37. To be baptized or immersed in the watery grave of baptism so that every sin can be washed away. And to know that I'm a child of light. It can be yours tonight. You can leave here you can leave here tonight rejoicing just like the eunuch did, just like others did in the first century. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, could we encourage you, come home, come back to God. The Lord wants you to be in fellowship with him. We want you to be in fellowship with him. If there is any way at all that we could help you, spiritually speaking, I understand sometimes people lose their way spiritually. They get lost in the world. And they live like a prodigal. And the more time they spend in the world, the less they think about their blessings in Christ. What I want to do is remind you, you've got a lot of blessings you're missing out on in life. Blessings that you ought to be enjoying. John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will forgive you if you'll take that step as we stand and sing.